praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Would you please stand with me, open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 24. As you're turning there, as we, as we see this video and we've had this time of worship, there is this beautiful theme that is there and is that we serve a mighty God. And while things may seem discouraging at moments, while things may be disheartening the church, the church needs to understand that this is a good moment for us, for us to rise up and for us to be the light that shines in the midst of a dark, dark world. And so the book of Matthew chapter 24, we're continuing in our series here, Where Do We Stand? Matthew chapter 24, we're going to read right now from verses 1 through 4, and it says this. It says that Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the, of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Father, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you for your word that encourages us, that admonishes us, that directs us. We thank you for the truth that you are an almighty God and great Savior. And so we humble ourselves before you, and we ask you to be glorified in these next few moments in the preaching and teaching of your word, God. May our hearts be stayed on you. And Lord, I pray against distractions, and I ask you that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be respondents and doers of it, God. We give you thanks and praise, and we ask you all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so, as I said, we're continuing in our series, Where Do We Stand? And today, I'm a, I want to preach a sermon entitled, Do Not Be Deceived. And this morning, as, as we, we're, you know, we're talking and we're going in, in this series, we want to deal with the concept of where the church is to stand in this moment. As I said last week, we're being asked all the time, where do you stand? With the different issues that are going on in our culture, this being an election year, we're being asked, where do we stand? And we as a church should be standing together, and the only way that we can stand together is when we're standing upon the truth of God's word. And today I want to talk about not being deceived. And here's what I want you to think about. Deception is the greatest tool that the enemy has, or that, of, of the enemy, to distract, divide, and deter the church. Deception is the greatest tool that the enemy uses in order to distract us, in order to divide us, in order to deter us, in order to hinder us from moving forward in the purposes that God would have. And we're going to look at this throughout this sermon here. And so the first thing that I would ask you, if you would please repeat after me, is this, is say, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. And I want you to just, just to give you a little bit of background, and it's funny, today um, Dr. Pete Owenson is here. Can we just give him a little hand and, and thank him for being with us? Even though he's not preaching today, you know, he's here. He comes on the day that I'm talking about prophetic things, amen. And so I'm encouraged, right, as, I, as, I, as, as I'm going through this. And him and I, we've had a lot of theological conversations. And on this particular topic, we really haven't touched very much. And so I'm sure after this preaching, we'll have some good conversations 
but <laughs> the, the, the beauty of this is that whenever we're dealing with prophetic scriptures, there's a whole bunch of different opinions out there, right? There's a whole bunch of different ways that people view uh, the return of Christ, the rapture of the church, and I don't know where you land on all of that. Uh, but by the end of this sermon, you'll know where I land on it and what I think, and this to me, right, uh, above all, right, whether Jesus is coming before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, or somewhere around there, the fact is Jesus is coming. Can we all say amen to that? And I think we can agree on that. That's the most important thing. We are looking to the return of Christ. The other thing that I think that we need to be clear about is we need to be clear about the fact that, we, that, that when we look at these scriptures, Jesus' response to his disciples is very important because the, he, does, he doesn't just jump into an answer. The first words that he says is, be sure no one deceives you. Be sure no one deceives. Be sure that you are not deceived. And so the church has to be vigilant. And one thing that we'll see here as we look at verses 4 through 8 is we're going to see how, what, what I mean when I'm talking about being distracted. And so let's look at verses 4 through 8. And so Jesus responds to his disciples. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. It says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And so Jesus communicating to his disciples saying, you be sure you're not deceived because there are many that are going to come in my name saying, I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. I am the deliverer. And you know what? Here's the thing. I think a lot of times when we hear that statement, we start to think about a person who is going to rise up. And just to, as I think about it, there's not been a whole bunch of people. There's been some that have risen up and, you know, there's some cults out there where people are said that they're the savior, but I don't believe this is is just people that are going to say that they're the Savior. There are ideologies. There are groups of people that, that want to say, I'm the anointed. This is the route that we should go. And I'm the deliverer. I'm the Savior. Why? Because things are going to get rough. Look what Jesus continues to say. He says, and you will hear, right? So why is it that this, this even matters? Because you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And commotions, Luke would add to that. Social and, and local disruptions. See that you are not troubled. Listen to this. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And so in the midst of this, it's easy to get distracted, is it not? I mean, just think about it. There's a whole bunch of stuff out there. If you're on social media, I mean, I know you're distracted if you're on social media, right? Some of you have stopped social media, so you won't be so distracted, right? They have me as in, 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 our, in my neighborhood. I'm part of the um, Architectural Control Committee, and so I'm a moderator on our neighborhood page. And I was telling these guys, I said, I'm the worst moderator ever. I'm like, I turned off all of my notifications. I only look at Facebook when I want to. I, I'm not drawn there because I don't want to be, you know, getting, I, I mean, I get blown up all day long. Some Sometimes I look at Facebook, I got like 94 notifications from all kinds of stuff that is happening. That's crazy. Imagine 94 notifications in like a couple of hours. Terrible. So nonetheless, we can get easily distracted. And then when you hear about wars, rumors of wars, commotions, as Luke would say, and I believe that's Luke 21, and, and commotions, things that are going on, the unrest that is there, it is easy to get distracted. You get online, you'll see somebody say something, and then you're like, oh, man, I got to respond to that. I got to say something there. And the truth is, you don't have to say anything. You know, one thing that I've learned from Dr. Pete, I've seen him post things that may be, you know, a little bit controversial. And, you know, people comment, and when he doesn't, when they want to be controversial, he doesn't respond. I'm like, man, that's wisdom. 
I'm like, I need to get there, but I'm bald, not gray-headed, so I don't know. I don't know if that's, I, I missed that step. I don't know, right? The, <laughs> my wife's always like, when are you going to get some gray hair in that beard? I don't know. One day I'll have wisdom. But anyway, <laughs> but, the, but, but, but it's easy to become distracted, When you hear of all of these things and Jesus' admonition to his disciples, and this is why this becomes so important. Whenever you're thinking about prophetic scriptures, you got to think about Jesus' warnings. Why is he even warning his disciples of stuff like this? Why is he telling them not to be troubled? Why is he telling them not to be worried? And why are we reading these scriptures, hearing him talking to his disciples, saying, man, wait, don't be worried about these things. The end is not yet. And so what we find is Jesus is telling them some things. And he goes on in verse 7 here. He says, for nation will rise against nation. We see that. And kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And uh, and some of your Bibles in Matthew may not say pestilences, but if you go to Luke, Luke does say pestilences there. And so sickness, disease, that will be present. Do we not see that right now? Come on, y'all got mass around you, don't you? Because of pestilences and and these different things. And so there's these things that are happening. And what does he say? Verse 8, all these things are the beginning, the beginning, not the end, the beginning of sorrows. And so here's what I would say to this is that Jesus is answering his disciples' questions. So they ask him three questions. They're like, so when is this going to happen? When is the temple going to be destroyed? What is going to be the sign of your coming? And what's going to be the end of the age? And maybe, I don't know, maybe they were hoping that they wouldn't suffer any tribulation or any hardship. And they're like, hey, when is all this going to happen? Like, are we still going to be here for this? Are we going to be around when this stuff happens? You know, because none of us want to suffer. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every day and say, yes, I want to suffer today. Right? That's not something that happens to me. I don't wait. I want the easiest day possible. Right? We pray for No, nobody prays. Like when you're in your prayer time, right? Like you're like, God, give me a hard day today, Lord. Give me a difficult day. Lord, bring the most difficult people to me today. Father, none of us do that, right? We're like, God, I pray for your peace. I pray for your joy today. Lord, I pray for your wisdom. God, I want to, right? I mean, come on, like that. And so, you know, his disciples, they're not off track. We would have done the same thing. We'd have been like, Jesus, Jesus, do we got to go through some of this stuff? Mind you, just a few verses before, Jesus was giving the woes and he was broken over Israel and their rebellion against God. And so Jesus is communicating to his disciples, and he tells them these things. And so here's the, here's the thing that happens is this, is that Jesus responds with an exhortation, an exhortation to his disciples telling them, be watchful. In other words, when he's saying don't be deceived, he's saying be watchful. Pay attention to what is going on, but don't be distracted. See, here's the thing. Deceived people are easily distracted, and distracted people are easily deceived. Right? Deceived people are easily distracted, and distracted people are easily deceived. Right? So you think about you think about this, right? I don't know if you guys were here. Some of you probably not. But my, my wife's cousin, he is a clown for Jesus. All right? I'm just going to say it like that. And he is one of, probably one of those, the most powerful evangelist clowns you will ever meet in your life. I mean, this guy has traveled the world, and he does this thing. He gets up here. Part of his act, he talks about prestidigitation. That's, what, that's the word he uses, right? Prestidigitation. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but whatever. I didn't, I didn't look it up. But what he says is it's, 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 the, it's the sleight of hand. And you're, and you're not paying attention to what's going on. And all of a sudden you're looking here, but the trick is over here. And, and, you, and you don't realize what is happening. You're distracted. 
right? That's the key to, I'm not a magician, but that's the key. You're distracted. You got to be distracted because if you see what I'm really doing, then what's going to happen? You're gonna, oh, I see that. I, I, see, I see what's going on. I see what's happening there. There's no real magic. There's nothing to make me go ooh and ah. However, you need to know that your enemy is a great deceiver. The enemy wants to use everything he can to get us distracted so we can be deceived, to get us away from where we need to be. I love this quote. Dr. Pete actually quoted this the other day. He said this. He said, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. He was quoting this guy by the name of Voltaire. I didn't know who Voltaire was. I just want to let you know. And so I was like, who is this? And so I, I was like, well, he's a guy that was a, a voice in the time of the Enlightenment. He was, he was known for his satire. He was a playwright. He was, you know, he was this guy that was this voice there. He was, he would, he was um, very sarcastic regarding religion. And when he makes this quote, he's actually talking about religion. And, he's, and, he, and, and a lot of his, his sarcasm dealt with Christianity. He wasn't a Christian. He, he believed he, he could have been, right? He wasn't a Christian. He could have been a deist, an agnostic, something like that. But he believed in God based on, you know, based on what was written about him. But he didn't believe in organized religion. He didn't believe in divine revelation. He believed that what? He believed God created everything and then left. Took a picnic. Said, okay, y'all deal with this. I'm going to go and have fun in the celestial whatever. I don't know. Just be away. And so he says this, but think about this, church. This is so important for us to consider. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. You look at the towers, 9-11, that's an atrocity, is it not? It is because someone believed something absurd. They believe something that was ungodly, something that was not right. And that is why we need to be sure that we are not being deceived in this moment in which we live. That we are not distracted and being led astray to believe things that we should not be believing. What does Jesus say? Jesus says that these are the beginning of sorrows. Some of your Bibles may say birth pangs or birth pains. And here's three, three things that I would give you if you're taking notes. You can write this down. But when he says this, he wants us to understand something. He wanted his disciples to understand something. And here's the thing that you and I need to realize when we're looking at prophetic scriptures like this. All of these things that Jesus talked about have been happening over and over and over again. They're cyclical. As a matter of fact, 70 AD, the temple was destroyed completely. And so Jesus could have come at that moment and been like, all right, I'm done. It's over, right? A couple years. But he didn't. And so we're experiencing birth pain. So here's the thing. I have never had the uh, pleasure, I will say, of birth. The pain. I have been present, however. It's not a pleasure. I can assure you that. I've never, I've never felt pain for someone else like I did watching my wife give birth. I didn't cry when my daughter was born. I wept when my wife had to push. I could feel the pain, the agony, the anguish. Not because I'm such a great guy. I don't know why. But I just, I mean, I could feel that. Because my wife's not a weak woman. She doesn't cry about stuff. She, you know, that, that's just, yeah, she's just not like that. And so I knew she wasn't crying at that moment. But I could tell she was in pain. But here's the first thing that we know about birth pain. Is this, is that contractions start way before the birth actually happens. Weeks, sometimes weeks before you actually give birth, right? The woman starts to feel some, there's something that's saying, well, what is that saying? Get ready. So the first thing I would say, birth pains say, prepare, because something is coming. 
Birth pains are saying something is coming, therefore you need to prepare. The second thing is this, and I just said it, is that giving birth is one of the most painful experiences. One, and I say one because I'm assuming there's something more painful. I don't know what it is. I can't tell you because I've never experienced a childbirth. However, my wife right now, she's has, she has this debilitating situation with her shoulder right now. And these are her words, not mine. She said, I would rather give birth than feel the pain I'm having now. So I don't know. All I'm saying is, I know this. This is one of the most excruciating pains a person can have. And so you know what that means for us, church? As we see these birth pains, as we see these labor pains occurring, you know what we have to do? Press on through the pain. We've got to continue forward through the pain. We cannot stop. We cannot, we cannot be distracted, but we got to continue to push. Why? Because if we don't push, we're never going to see the glory of God on the other side. The third thing that I see about birth pains is this, is that after the birth, after the pain of the birth, after the baby's cleaned up, right? Because at that exact moment, baby's not that cute, I'm just saying. But once the baby's cleaned up and all that good stuff, wow, what a beautiful thing. My wife, I'll never forget it. Right after Alexis was born, they took her away, and my wife was sitting there, and we're not sitting, I guess she was sitting. And so she's there and they're attending to her. And while they're attending to her, she hears Alexis cry. And it was like peace was in the room. And she said, she has such a beautiful voice. There was something beautiful that came out of all of that pain. And you know what that beauty is on a prophetic scale? Is man, we look forward to the day that we are reunited with Christ forever. We look forward to the day. That is the hope that Christians have. Listen, I wish that I could tell you things are going to get better, but you know what Jesus said? This is just the beginning. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, this is just the beginning. He didn't say, hey, you're going to feel a little bit of pain, and then everything's going to get better. That's not what Jesus said. And so here's the thing, church. We must be, we must be guarding against distractions. There, and here's the deal. There are too many voices in this day that are being accepted as safe because they have a truth. Hear me now. There are too many voices that we are listening to that they seem safe to us because they have a truth, but the fact is we need to be focused on the truth. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says what? It says that we are to focus upon who? We are looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Why? Because for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He, he, what? he despised the shame. This is what we as believers are supposed to do. We are supposed to focus not on a truth, but on the truth, which is not just words, but it is a person. And that way we won't be deceived. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, don't be divided. Don't be divided. Let's look at verses 9 through 12. He says this. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I told you it wasn't going to get better. He doesn't come and say this is the beginning. Then he goes on. He says, this is the thing. These are the things that are going to happen. And then look at verse 10. And then many will be offended. That word offended means to cause to stumble. It means to cause someone to forsake the way. Many will be offended. And I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing that word because we're going to look at another portion of Scripture that I believe needs to be tied in to this one here. And, and what is the, 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 the result of this Offense. 
is he says what? He says, and will betray one another. He's talking about something happening in the church, betraying one another, and will hate one another. So we go from these wonderful gatherings, right? Sister, Sister Karen was in the back, she has a mask on, and, you know, we don't know how to act, like can we hug or whatever the case is. And there's a moment, right, I can, I can embrace her. I haven't seen, you know, uh, you know see, um, seen the Owensons here in a while. And so this is a beautiful moment, being able to hug. But, but you know what, how do we go from that place of, man, I love you, it's good to see you, to you ain't my brother anymore. You're not my sister anymore. It's when you are offended, and, and, and I think we, we minimize this word offense. We're like, oh, I was offended. No, 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 no. Offense means what? It means you're turning away from truth. It means you're turning away from a certain uh, a belief system. Offended, turning away from this. And he goes on to say what? Verse 11, he says, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. These aren't really like encouraging, hyped up words, right? It's like, man. These are the days that we're living in. See, just as deceived people are easier to distract, so are they easier to divide. See, church, the unity of the body of Christ has never been more necessary. And I can only speak of the 24 years that I've been a Christian is this, is that it, it has never seemed more difficult to achieve than now. Listen, I've had conversations about, you know, with people where we, you know, divide over the gifts of the Spirit, or we may divide over predestination, or we may divide over things like that. But man, we can still worship together. We can still get along. We can get past those moments. But man, right now, if you don't stand with people, don't even talk to me. You're like the plague. If you don't agree with people, nah, man, we ain't cool no more. I'm cutting you out of my life. I'm, I'm removing you from my friend list on Facebook. I, I'm, I'm not coming back to this church. You know, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is happening right now in this moment that we have. And so what are the four clear signs? Again, I just want to break this down for you as easily as I can. Four clear signs that mark the end times. Number one is persecution of the righteous. The righteous, listen, I wish I could tell you that you're not going to be persecuted, but if you're going to stand for Jesus, you're going to be persecuted for your faith. If you decide you're going to stand for Christ, you will be persecuted for your faith. It is just a reality that happens. I told you guys about the, 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 um, the Black Lives Matter event. I got my first hate mail. Why? Because I didn't pander to their message. I preached a message that was, I preached the gospel. That's a, listen, I'm a gospel preacher. You give me the mic, that's what I'm going to do. Especially when I'm in front of a crowd that I don't know where they stand, if they know Jesus or not. I mean, I'm assuming you guys know Jesus in here, so we can talk about some deeper stuff. I'm not going to get into prophecy and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to try to make you feel good. I want to see your life change. And here's what I know, is that the gospel is the answer. The gospel is what changes lives. The gospel is what transforms communities. Yesterday, I just happened to see this. I don't ever watch this show. And I, I clicked on one of those notifications, and it was the uh, Mike Huckabee. And it's uh, the Huckabee, I guess, is the name of the show. Anyway, I watched about 10 minutes of it, and he, and he was talking to the person who is the owner of the company, I Am Second. And he has one video that's on there that, that he talks about in this conversation last night. And the video was of a guy who was a white supremacist, and a lady who I believe was a black parole officer. 
and talks about them in this relationship that they have. And the whole point in that, in that little portion of the segment was this, is what is the answer? What changed this man's heart? And what made this, listen, what made this black woman care about this white supremacist? What was it? The gospel. It is the gospel that we need to change lives. The gospel is what we have to be preaching. The second thing that we're going to see is offense or apostasy. And here's where I want you to just hold. You can hold your place there in Matthew. But I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians really quickly. Because I want you to see what, 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 the right, what Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians. As he's communicating to them, encouraging them, right? Because these are such encouraging words. Ah, hallelujah. Talk about the end, right? Like this, is, this, this stuff gets heavy. But where do we stand? Well, we got to know where to stand. And so 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when you got it, say so. All right, here it is. He says, now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, we ask you, do not be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ has come. Now, now I just have to pause again because I want you to see whenever you read admonitions regarding the day of Christ and our gathering together of him, with him, right? And this is, where, this is where I want to let you know where I land on this stuff. It's always encouraging us like, hey, don't be discouraged. He's never saying, you're not going to be here. I just think, like, if you weren't going to be here, I would say, don't worry about it. At least somewhere, right? I would say, you're not going to. I would make it crystal clear, you are not going to be here, so don't worry about it. That's, again, I could be wrong. I don't think so. But anyway, here's the thing. He says, let no one, verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. Again, there's that deception. For that day will come will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. I want you to just see that, unless the falling away comes first. He's giving, now please, please, I mean, we're seeing this, right? He's giving Christians an indication of how you know the end is here because you see a falling away. So from what you see as what I would say the professed church Right, The people who call themselves Christians who are there, there is a falling away. There are people who are apostatizing, people who are turning away. This is how we know. And you know what? I, I could have thought it was a whole bunch of different things. But, man, I really think that it's a lot of the activism that we see. That's what's going to cause people to fall away. Because people get distracted, and then they get deceived. And what do they do? They get offended. They turn away. So Jesus, I mean, Paul continues on. He says this. He says, It'll be this great falling away. He says, do you not, I'm sorry, verse, verse 4. He says, who oppose, I'm sorry, I'm in the, in the middle of verse 3 here. And so, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you. I told you these things. And so check it out. Paul is saying, I already, I already warned you guys about this. When I was with you, I let you know about this stuff. I wish I could have been there. What about you? 
I'm sure we would know for sure, right? There'd be no question about where we stand on the rapture and the second coming of the Lord. It, we'd be, it, it would be pretty clear. And Paul, writing here, is encouraging them, letting them know this. Verse 6 says, and now you know that it, th- th- what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Isn't that beautiful as we sang today about this victory that we have? It is simply because our Lord is almighty. I'm not going to dig into all this, guys. We ain't got time for all of that, right? I got to wrap up here pretty soon. But when we look at all of these different signs that Paul is giving us, but what I want you to see is what he goes on to communicate. So he talks about this great falling away. And then he talks about the mystery of lawlessness that is at work. And then in verse 9, he says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Listen, I firmly believe that God has not changed and God does signs, wonders, and miracles. But you need to be careful when someone's signs, wonders, and miracles don't line up with the scriptures when they're not aligning to the truth of what God's word says, because that's part of this deception. And verse 10 says, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Can we pause there? The issue, this great deception comes, why? Because we don't love truth. Because if we love truth, Man, we would know. We would, we, man, we would know for sure. I remember this. I never forget being a young, young Christian. I mean, I was, I was like a year old in the Lord. And, and, and the church that I come from, we had moments of testimony throughout the service, uh, throughout, throughout the services that we had. And there, there was always someone who would come up and they were, they were talking about the rapture, but they were trying to make me afraid. Right? Like, like, like I should be fearful for this rapture. And I want to tell you right now, something inside of me just, it, I, it just didn't gel. I was like, why would I be? I, and I didn't even know what I was not afraid. Like, there was just something wrong. But you know what I realized? The day of the Lord is supposed to be our blessed hope, is it not? I should be looking for, I should be saying, come, Lord, come. I should be like excited about the coming of the Lord. Not like, oh my goodness, you know, no, wait a second. But, but, but here's what happens. The only reason for that is not because I was some deep theologian. I was a baby Christian. I didn't know uh, anything about, I didn't even know what, es- I didn't even know the word eschatology, much, knew, much more knew anything about eschatology. And as I was there, something, because what? I did love the truth. I loved God's word. I was there with God in his word. God was speaking to me. And so his spirit was protecting me from anything that could have led me down the wrong path. And so we have here the issue. Why does this deception come? Look at verse 11 because this to me, it messes me up. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. What is this reason? Because they don't love the truth that he's given them. You got to hear that. The delusion isn't just Satan. There are people that don't love the truth, and because they don't love the truth, what happens? God sends them delusion. You want, you want to be deceived? All right. You're going you're gonna to experience wrath rather than what? Salvation. Rather than deliverance. 
Oh, God's mean. He's not mean. He's extended his arms. He sent his prophets. He said, come to me. Turn from your sin. Don't run that way. Run away from that. He's calling us in because he loves us. He sends his son to die in a shameful way to resurrect in power and glory, to give us hope. And you turn away from that. You deserve strong delusion. Because you reject his love, you reject this truth. Verse 12 says this, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so what do we have here? We have this, and I said that second point was offense, apostasy, meaning betrayal that equals betrayal and hatred of those. You can go back to Matthew 25. That equals the betrayal and hatred of those who were once family. The other thing is the acceptance of false teaching in the place of truth. Last week I was, I was teaching through Esther and at the end of the service someone came up to me and they corrected me because I said that Mordecai was the uncle of Esther. Guys, I was wrong. <laughs> Mordecai was Esther's cousin, not uncle. You know who corrected me? Alina. She was bolder than most adult Christians. Most adult Christians would just go talk about me behind my back and be like, Bishop said this, da, 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 da. And, you know, no, but she came and, you know, stood there, and I'm sure that was intimidating and all that stuff. Her dad was there, obviously, with her. And, you know, at first, because I love correction, right, I was like, um, what? And <laughs> then I composed myself and realized, hold on a second, bro, you could be wrong here. And so she communicated. But here's the thing. I'm not a false teacher because I got something wrong. I wasn't trying to lead you astray. And I point that out because there is a great reality that in these times of deception, false teaching will be accepted as normal. People who are communicating things that are false will be accepted as normal. No one will question it because it makes you feel good. The last thing is this, is a loss of love. A hardening of heart and conscience due to the abandonment of God's righteous. Listen, when you think about this, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold, will grow cold. What was once fiery, passionate will be blown out. Why? Because of lawlessness. Let me ask you a question. Do you see lawlessness right now anywhere? Rebellion? Let me, let, let, me t- let, let me tell you what I thought. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. You may be offended when I say this. I hope not. I own one gun. That shouldn't offend you. But when all this crazy stuff started happening, defund the police, you know what I told my wife? I said, babe, I need to get an AK and a lot of ammunition. You know why? Because if we don't have police, guess who's going to be the police in my house? No, no, nobody's going to come to my house and hurt my family. I mean, come on, this is just being common sense, right? I'm called to be a protector of my home. But you know why I have to think like that? Because of lawlessness. You walk around, and, and you, you have to be honest with yourself for a moment now. Think about this now. When you walk around now, because of all the stuff that you see going around, do you look at people differently? When you see somebody who's a different ethnicity than you, do you think, hmm, I wonder what they're thinking? That's what I think. I'm second guess. I'm, I'm thinking things that I wouldn't normally think. And you know what that can lead to? You don't have a prayer life. You're not walking with Jesus. All of a sudden, you're going to lock yourself up. You're not coming out. You're not engaging with anyone. Come on now. 
Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many. Love is an action. It's an action, like it's an action word. We, we have to live love. And so when we have lawlessness, this is what happens. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said in another place, he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Church, I want you to know something. Our primary focus, and I said this last week, but our primary focus is not to gain power. It isn't to overthrow authorities. It isn't even to change laws. I believe, look, we should influence laws. I believe we should vote the right, you know, for righteousness in the land. I believe all of that stuff. But that is not our primary focus. Our primary focus is to bring the transformative power of God into our culture. But here's the deal. A divided church is a powerless church. And you know who knows that better than anyone else? Our enemy. And so he wants to do what? To divide us. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, don't be deterred. Don't be deterred. And listen, I was going to walk with you through all these verses, but we're not going to do it today, okay? We can walk through it a different time. But I do want to look at verses 13 and 14. Look at verse 13 and 14 here. He says these words. Jesus says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Two things that Jesus focuses on in this moment here. Don't be deterred. See, the same way that distracted people can be easily deceived, the same way that de deceived people can be easier divided, the same way people who are deceived can be deterred from their mission. And what's the mission? The mission is twofold here that Jesus gives us. Deceived people, uh, the enemy wants to deter us from our perseverance in the faith, and he wants to deter us from our proclamation of the gospel. Those are the two things that he wants to do. He wants to deter us. From all of the, he wants to hinder, he wants us to be deceived, led astray, he wants us to be offended, so we turn away, for what? So we don't persevere in the faith. And we know the one that's holding us, right, is God Almighty, is he not? He's the one that keeps us, but we're supposed to walk with him. We are supposed to walk, and so he who endures to the end, what do we understand from that portion there? Persevering in the faith is proof, it's not, listen, you're not, oh, well, I got to endure to the end, so I'm saved. No, 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 if you're saved, you will endure to the end. If you are really a follower of Jesus, you will endure to the end. If you are really one who has been washed in the blood of Christ, sanctified by the Spirit of God, if you are one that has been filled and sealed with the Spirit of the Lord, guess what? In the midst of all of this, you will persevere to the end. But here's the deal. You need to be warned. You need to be encouraged because when things get ugly, guess what? You want to throw in the towel. I want to throw in the towel. I want to get an AK and sit inside, and that's it. We're just going to you know, hunker down until Jesus comes or someone knocks on the door. I don't know. Yeah. It's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to get so caught, man. I, but wait a second. He who endures to the end will be saved, will be delivered from all of these things. So you need, you need endurance when you have to go through stuff, right? Again. Second thing that we see here is pretty clear is that he wants us to hinder us, to deter us from the proclamation of the gospel. 
See, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of division, in the midst of famine, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of everything else that's going to happen, the gospel must be louder. The gospel must be clearer. Church, we cannot give up on the power of God. Here's what the power of God is. Paul said it best. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And what is that power? It is the dunamis. It is the, it is the power, the explosive life-changing power of God that brought me to faith, that brought you to faith. It is his power that is still able to bring transformation. We can't give up on it. We can't jump on the bandwagon of activism and we're going to jump into this thing and forget what our mandate is. Our mandate is to preach the gospel to the ends of the world, to go out there and make sure everyone that we know and every place that we go that the gospel is shared. And so here's my closing question for you. Have you been distracted? It's actually three. Have you given in to division? Have you felt deterred? Have you? Have you been distracted? Have you found yourself distracted in this time? Listen, we know that it's the beginning of birth pangs. We know that there's going to be hardship that is going to come. Have you given in to division? Have you pulled away from brothers and sisters in Christ because they don't agree with your ideologies? Have you not sought to make peace? Have you not sought to be together I love, man, I, I'm, I'm grateful for Forge. It's a ministry that is to men, and we are trying to bridge gaps, have tough conversations. We're not running away from stuff. We're running toward stuff. That's what men do, right? We run toward issues. We don't run away from them. That's what the church, male, male or female, we shouldn't run from stuff. We run to stuff. Why? Because God is with us. His truth will prevail. And listen, no matter who pulls away from you, man, don't let it be you that's pulling away from them. If they want to pull away, that's on them. If they, if they don't want to be in a relationship, that's on them. But listen, two things that I tell you. Number one, don't be the jerk. Hello. And number two, don't bow. Don't accept false peace. That's what this antichrist, that's what this guy that's going to come, this, this, this wicked one that's going to come, that's what he's going to do. He's going to offer, offer false peace, which is what the enemy does all the time, offers false peace through these different ideologies. And the last question is, have you felt deterred? Have you felt deterred? Man, it's easy. I'm not going to preach the gospel. Man, the enemy has been working overtime to silence the church. To make you feel like you have no voice. Huh. You don't, you, 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 your opinion doesn't matter. Since the time of the Enlightenment, you know, Voltaire, the guy I talked about earlier? <laughs> enlightenment, right? That's such a bad name for a time period anyway. Because <laughs> it wasn't an Enlightenment. It was a greater deception that began to happen. That's all it was. It wasn't a time where people were illuminated. It's a time where people were deceived in greater ways and began to question the truths that, man, that, 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 that are proven, that are time-tested, that all of the stuff that these people are saying have been debunked, denounced, and, and dealt with. And yet today, what are we doing? We're rehashing these ideologies, embracing these false teachings. So we can't be deterred. We've got to be out there preaching the gospel. So I just want to give you three things really quickly as I close. I want to give you some application. How do we stand guard against deception? 
The first thing I would say is this, is we must be given to biblical devotion. We must be given to biblical devotion. What do I mean by that? We must be in the scriptures, praying the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures. Our lives must be centered and rooted in truth, not emotion, not sensation, not culture. We have to have a solid foundation. And listen, it's not just about reading the scriptures and knowing what the scriptures say. Those scriptures, the breath of the scriptures have to be changing your life. The spirit of the scriptures have to be transforming you. So it's not just enough to get a big head. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up is what Paul said. And how do we get the breath? How do we get the spirit of the scriptures? It's by not just reading them, praying them, spending time in God's presence around them. The second thing I would say is we must be devoted to gospel-centered community. We must be devoted to gospel-centered community. I quoted Pastor Otto last week. I'll quote him again. We must fight for fellowship. We need each other. We need encouragement. We need accountability. We need to open ourselves to the scrutiny of others. That even that includes the people who don't agree with you. That includes the people that don't think like you, that are brothers and sisters in Christ, that can call you to the carpet on how you live, on what you believe. Because, hey, iron sharpens iron, or does it not? And so as we walk together and as we do, we need one another. And the last one is this, is we must, devoted, we must be devoted to an outward expression of the faith. We must be disciple makers, meaning that we must be evangelizing others. Listen, through the mask and everything, come on, tell people about Jesus, right? <laughs> through the mask and all. I saw this mask the other day. It had a hole in the front, right? It's, I don't know, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's got, it's not a hole, but it's got a, it's a, it's hard, right? So it's open. So you can see my lips. I'm like, man, I'm going to get that mask. Because I hate talking to people like this, like, hey, how you doing? Yes, I'm good. Great. Wonderful. Ah, you know, you got you to overemphasize with your eyes, right? Like when you're talking nowadays. <laughs> you don't know what people are thinking, right? But you still got to evangelize. You still have to be a witness for the gospel. And you got to be about building other people up. The apostle said it this way, freely you have received, freely we must give. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you for your great love, your great mercy. And Lord, we want to be people who are not deceived. We want to be people who are not distracted. We want to be people who are not deterred. And we want to be people who are not divided. And so we thank you for the gospel that unites us, the gospel that brings us together, the gospel in which we have hope. So Spirit of God, if we've been distracted, realign our hearts. If we've given in to division, realign our hearts. And if we felt deterred and discouraged, Give us renewed strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord.